blessing it is to be in God's place, in His presence, in his, with His people. Nothing better than that. No place that I know of I'd rather be than right here this morning in the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, brother. Thank you, all of our worship team, for leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship today. I don't know about you, but I've had a great um, holiday season. These last three weeks, I've enjoyed um, a great deal with my family. Um, I hope and pray, my hope for you um, is that you and your family had a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, but we know with the New Year, one thing that for most of us is going to take place, if not all of us, is we're going to have some New Year's resolutions. Now, a resolution is, um, is a promise you make to yourself to better yourself in some area of your life in the upcoming year. And that's not a bad thing. Um, I think that all of us can find areas in our, in our lives where we could better ourselves in some way. And to try and better yourself is, um, is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. The only problem with the promise you make to yourself is that it's very easy to break the promises you make to yourself. And from time to time, those New Year's resolutions that we are so passionate about at the beginning of January have um, somehow lost their luster by the end of January. But we've all made those resolutions and probably have this year as well. Now, in thinking of that this week, I looked up in the Reader's Digest the 10 most popular New Year's resolutions for the uh, year of 2018. I'm going to start with these from 10 and go all the way down to 1 and see if all of us can probably relate to some of them, if not all of them. Number 10 was eat more at home. Now, I don't know if that means quantity or placement, but I'm, I intend to do a little bit of both, amen? But I think it's a good thing to eat more at home. I, I love to eat at home. If you've got a wife that can cook like my wife can cook, then you are blessed in two ways. You get to eat more at home and spend more time with family. You get to save a little money. It's just a great blessing when you are able to eat at home. My kids, however, love to eat out all the time. Um, every Sunday evening when I get finished preaching and I'm standing at the back greeting folks as they're leaving, uh, my kids will come to me and say, Daddy, where are we going to eat? And usually they say something like this, let's go to Mexican. They love going to the Mexican restaurant. That's their favorite place. Now this morning, Gage came to me before service. It wasn't after service. He came to me right before I got up here today, right before we entered into worship. And he said, Dad, let's go to Mexican today. So he loves to go out and eat. Now here a while back, I told him, I said, all right, we're going to go uh, to Mexico, Mexican restaurant today, a new one. I said, it's called La Hacienda. And, um, and they said, uh, great, Dad, where's that at? And I said, well, man, well, I'll show you. Just get in the car, we're fixing to head out. Boy, them big smiles on their face. And I don't know much Spanish at all, if, if, uh, just very little. But one word I do know is Hacienda. I know it means home. And so what I was telling them is we're going home to eat. And those big smiles that they had on their faces turned upside down when we pulled into our driveway. They really thought we were going to eat someplace new. But it's good to eat at home, uh, have that family around the dinner table. Uh, number nine is break smartphone addiction. How many needs that? Let's be honest this morning. Yeah, all, pretty much all of us, don't we? I don't know what we did without smartphones. Smartphones are a good thing. They can uh, certainly be a useful tool or they can be a great hindrance to you. And it's all in how you view them. It's all in how... Um, you use your smartphone. It can be for God's glory or it can be for your downfall, however you want to look at it. But um, those are not a bad thing, but we, shouldn't, we should not be addicted to them. And so all of us probably need to 
uh, do a little work on that. Number eight was travel more. I had a brother tell me the other day, he said, if traveling was free, you'd never see me. I can understand that. I enjoy it myself. I like going new places and seeing new things. It's one of my absolute favorite things to do, and it's good for all of us to get away from time to time. So I think that's a good one. Uh, number seven was learn something new. I don't know about you, but I like learning new things. I like feeding my mind. I like thinking. Matter of fact, my wife tells me all the time that I overthink things. I probably do. I, I think things over, uh, uh, overthink things a lot, and sometimes that gets me in trouble too. But I like to learn new things, and that's a good thing. We ought to learn new things. We shouldn't just stay where we are. We ought to grow uh, in all areas of our life. Number six was get organized. Now, if there's anybody that needs a little of that, um, I certainly need a little bit of that. I was talking to some brothers and sisters in Christ that are... New Year's Eve celebration here at the church the other night, we were talking about those who have the spiritual gift of OCD. And um, you know who you are. I mean, they, are, uh, they, they have to have things so-so just like they like it. And I was telling them about my brother. My brother had OCD growing up, and he still does. And he had to have things perfect in his room just like he liked it at all times. He was all about being organized. And just me knowing that and being his big brother, I'd mess with him. I'd go in and he had, we all, always put together model cars as a kid. And I'd go into his room and rearrange his model cars and turn them off just a little bit uh, off how he had them when, whenever I walked in there. And I'd go to his, his closet and switch where his pants were and hang them where his shirts were supposed to be. And that'd just drive him crazy. And the first thing he'd do when he got back in his room, go back and turn everything just like he had it. He paid close attention to those things. Now, I don't know what happened, but um, he got that, and I didn't as his brother, but I could use a little bit more of uh, being organized. Maybe all of us could. That's a good one. But number five was spend more time with our family, and I think that's a very good one. A lot of times we get so busy in this life and the rat race that we all live in that we sometimes forfeit time with those we love the most, and uh, I think that's a very good thing to spend more time with our family in the upcoming year. We should all do that. Number four was spend less and save more. Uh, that's a good one that all of us could, um, um, could make this year. I was trying to teach my oldest daughter about what it means to manage her money, and we're starting her checking account, and I was trying to teach her um, the three laws that the Bible says we ought to do with our finances, that we ought to first of all give to God, we ought to save a little bit, and we ought to spend on the right things. And folks, um, that's advice that all of us could take from God's Word. We ought to give our 10%, our tithe, and then our offering, of that above our tithe, what God leads us to do, that ought to be first and foremost in our financial situation for each and every one of us. Um, then we ought to save a little bit for tomorrow and for a rainy day. That's biblical, but we also ought to spend on the right things. So that's a good one, spend less and save more. Number three was enjoy life to the fullest. I don't know that I could do that any more than I'm doing right now. I enjoy my life. I love my life. I'm thankful for my life. Man, when I look at how God's blessed me, um, that just blesses my soul. And as I've told you many times before, you ought to count your blessings daily. Can you say amen? amen. Folks, I know we've all got problems. I know we all have stuff. Life is full of stuff. Can you say amen to that? For each and every one of us. But all of us are blessed beyond measure. And the man who counts his blessings will never be poor. I can promise you that. And so uh, we all ought to count our blessings and enjoy life to the fullest day by day. Um, that, that's a good New Year's resolution. Number two was to, and number one, they really go together. But number two was to lose weight. And uh, we could probably all do a little bit of that. 
Um, and then he says, number one. Can anybody guess what number one is? What do you think number one is? Anybody? Number one was getting shape. Isn't that the truth? Don't we all say that? At the beginning of every year, we're going to get in shape this year. We're going to do better this year than we did last year. Um, I would say that's a pretty good list of ten. I can relate to all of those. I've probably said all of those at one time or another, um, that, that some things that we certainly need to do. I especially said number one, and many others have too. I would venture out in saying I've never owned a gym, but I would say that the uh, happiest time of the year for a gym owner is not Thanksgiving or Christmas by a long shot, but uh, January. That's when all the ones who have made those New Year's resolution are getting in there and trying to get in shape and signing up for that year's contract. So um, this morning, my purpose is to talk to you about not getting in shape physically, even though that's not a bad thing. Uh, that's a good thing. But today, I want to talk to you about getting in shape, spiritually speaking. And I want us to get a hold of what it means to be in shape um, in our spiritual lives. The Apostle Paul knew the importance of this, what it meant to be in shape spiritually. He said in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doeth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now folks, I want you to know something. That's a great analogy that Paul uses many times throughout his writing of a runner and the Christian life. And he says that as a Christian, just like a successful runner that's running a race, we're to lay aside all the things that are hindering us, all the things that are holding us back and weighing us down so that we might be able to run the most effective race in our spiritual walk with the Lord Jesus in the world that we live in. He says it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn there with me. I want to read to you just a few verses of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to start at verse number 24. He says something here that I love. You've probably heard this verse many times. You've read it many times, I'm sure, but very popular Scripture, but man, it's good. Hebrews 9, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. It says, Know ye not, that they which run in a race, they run all of it. They don't run some of it. They don't run most of it. They run all of it. Now, folks, let me say something to you. You need to start well. You need to continue in the race. You need to finish well. All three legs of the race are important if you're going to win. Can you say amen to that? But now let me also say to you, you may have not have started well, you may not be uh, as well as you could have been in the middle, but we all are to do everything we can to finish well. And we finish well by starting today. He said that we run in a race. If you're going to run in it, you run all of it. Then he says, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. He says in verse 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He looks to all things. He plans for all things. He prepares for everything the race is, is going to bring his way. Then look on down at verse number 26. He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I not as one that beateth the air. But verse 27 says, but I keep uh, under my body and bring it under subjection. The apostle Paul says, I bring my body, my flesh under subjection. What's he mean by that? He's saying, I give my body 
what it needs and I don't give my body what it don't need so that I might be the most effective in the race that I'm running. He's talking about getting in spiritual shape here in running the race that we are all called to run. He knew the importance of being in good spiritual shape. And folks, if we're going to be effective as the people of God in this new year, if you're going to be effective as husbands and fathers and wives and mothers, if we're going to be effective as a body of Christ, we got to get in good spiritual shape. And so what I want to do this morning, folks, I want to... Let us go and read the rest of this verse before I go any further. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, watch what he says, I myself should be a castaway or one who backslides in the faith. <laughs> Now, folks, how many know it's, it's possible for each and every one of us to fall and stumble and falter in the race if we're not careful, if we don't keep ourselves in good spiritual shape? So what does that look like? What does that mean according to the Scripture? What I want to do is use uh, shape as our outline this morning. And so there's going to be a five points. There's going to be S-H-A-P-E. And I'm not going to go through all five for the, of those this morning with you. I'm going to go through as many as we can, then we'll finish the rest of this up uh, as we go along. If we were going to talk about a Christian being in good spiritual shape, uh, and we want to talk about us, we're going to talk about our spiritual gifts. How many of you know that we've all been given spiritual gifts? Each and every one of us. If you don't believe me, take your Bibles, flip over just a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And the Apostle Paul, he writes a whole chapter on spiritual gifts, how they're used and how they impact the body of Christ and the life of each individual believer. And he says something to us in 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 7. I love this. He says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Everybody in here say every man today. Now, when he says every man, he's not talking about just about um, uh, man or men, but he, he used that as a, as a generic term, speaking of everybody, every believer, every man, woman, boy, or girl in the body of Christ, the Bible says we've all been given a manifestation of the Spirit, a spiritual gift where the Spirit of God illuminates our hearts and lives works in us and works through us to accomplish the goodwill and purpose of God himself. Now let me say this. Have you ever said within yourself or have you ever heard somebody say, maybe you get an opportunity to work in the body of Christ, to do something in the body for the glory of God, to be a part of what God's doing in the church. You get, you get some kind of opportunity to do that and you say automatically, I can't do it. Oh brother, that's not me. No, that ain't me over here. That ain't me over there. I just can't do those things. Let me say something to you. You're right. You're right. You can't do it. Let, let me say something else. I can't do it either. None of us can. But let me give you some more truth that's going to blow you away. Listen to me. God knew that when he saved you. God knew you could not be effective in your own ability and your own power when he saved you. He knew that. 
And He knew that you could never be what He saved you to be and you could never do what He saved you to do which has accomplished His goodwill and purpose in this life. He knew that. He knew you couldn't do it in your own power. So when He saved you, guess what He did? A lot of cool things happened when you got saved. A lot of cool things happened when I got saved. Folks, the Bible says my sins were put as far as the east is from the west. If you believe that, say amen. Listen. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. If what you've done is under the blood, it's forgiven. Quit looking at yesterday. Quit living in your past and move on today starting in this new year. My goodness, some of the hardest people to get forgiveness from is ourselves. Isn't that the truth? And Satan continually wants to bring up your past and Beat you down with what you used to do and where you used to be and how you used to act. Let me say this to you. When Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future, brothers and sisters. Listen, you don't have to live in your past and you don't need to live in your past. What's under the blood is under the blood. When you got saved, your sins were put as far as the east is from the west, according to the book of Psalms. Let me say something else. The Bible teaches when you got saved, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. When you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, your name was written down in heaven. The disciples came to Jesus once upon a time and they said, Lord, even the the devils, they know our name. When we speak your name, they're coming out, uh, knowing that they're coming out of the people, knowing that that you sent us. And you know what Jesus said? He said, listen, don't don't you be excited that the demons recognize you. You be excited that your name is written down in heaven. Folks, you ought to be excited about that too. You know what I'm thankful for? Folks, there was a time in my life when I'd lay down and lay my head on my pillow at night and I was scared to death to go to sleep. I can remember times when I would tremble in fear going to sleep at night knowing I wasn't right with God. Knowing that if I didn't wake up the next morning that I was going to die and go to a devil's hell. I knew that. I'm thankful. I've got peace for living right here today. But praise Jesus, I've got peace for dying. I know in whom I've placed my trust. I know he's done a work in my heart. And I know if I don't make it out of here alive today, I'm going home to be with him. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. R.G. Lee, he said it like this. He said, you're going to hear once in one day that R.G. Lee has died. He said, but don't you believe it. At that moment, I'll be more alive than I've ever been before. Folks, that's true. For the believer, when we leave this walk of life, we enter into the presence of God. And we will forever be with him. So our name is written down in heaven. (laughs) Our sins are forgiven. Let me tell you something else that happens. You are indwelled by the precious Holy Spirit of God. Take your Bibles, turn with them to 1 Corinthians. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 12, but go back to chapter 3 just a moment. You get you a pen. Either you write this down in your notes or you underline it in your Bible or you do something because... This verse is good for all of us. We all need to know this one. Memorize it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. Now how many of you know, if you're a believer here this morning, and he, this is who he's writing to in 1 Corinthians 3 to the believer, he says that we are God's temple. Now what is the temple? 
Well, the temple is where God dwells, right? And so if we are the temple, that means God dwells in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. He says, no, you know that you're the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells or lives in you. God knew that you couldn't accomplish His good will and purpose in your own power. God knew in your fleshly state, in this fallen flesh, that we were, folks, listen to me, we were going to fall, we were going to make mistakes, we were going to sin, and we were going to do things that wouldn't please unto Him. God knew that we were feeble in our abilities. And so when we got saved, when we trusted in Jesus, the Bible teaches that we were baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. And according to 1 Corinthians 3.16, now the Spirit of Almighty God lives in you. God know you knew that you couldn't live the Christian life effectively. He knew I couldn't live it effectively. He knew I couldn't accomplish His good will and purpose. He knew you couldn't accomplish His good will and purpose in your own power. So what He did, He put Himself in us. So that he might live in us, live through us, and make a difference in this world. Can you say amen to that? We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God himself, the Holy Spirit, lives inside each and every one of us. That's amazing to me. The Apostle Paul I think was always throughout his ministry, throughout his life, he's just blown away by that. We ought to be as well. Don't let that become commonplace to you that God dwells in you. The Apostle Paul says that we have this treasure in these earthen vessels. And boy, ain't we some earthen vessels? I had one pastor tell me once upon a time that we're all just a bunch of cracked pots. <laughs> He's right. We've all got problems, scars, cracks, imperfections. And God himself lives in us. That's amazing. Now, with the Holy Spirit, listen, came the gifts of the Spirit. Can you say amen to that? You cannot have gifts of the Spirit without the Holy Spirit. So, you get the Holy Spirit when you are born again, when you are baptized into the body, you are indwelled by the Spirit of God. And it's from the Spirit that we obtain the gifts that we need to be effective in the body. Which brings me to my next point. Now, the first thing is you need to know is all believers have spiritual gifts. That's according to 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But I also want you to know, listen to me now, if all believers individually have spiritual gifts, then all believers are useful to the body. For it's through the spiritual gifts that we are effective in accomplishing God's purpose as a church as a whole. Does that make sense to you? So, so listen to me now. What I do in my gift, with my gift, that comes from the Holy Spirit, not only affects my individual ministry, but it also affects greatly the whole body of believers. Why? Because we are all connected. Look with me in, in 1 Corinthians 12 there. I want to prove it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And verse number 12. It says, For as the body is one and hath many members. Everybody say, one body, many members. You are a part of one body, that body being the church, 
but you yourselves are the many individual members. And he goes on to say, being many are one body, so also is Christ. He says in verse 13, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether it be Jews or Gentiles, whether it be bond or free. We have been all made to drink into one spirit. The Holy Spirit is what baptizes us into the body and gives us the gifts needed so that we might be effective as individual members. Thereby, it helps the whole body, the church of the Lord Jesus. And it's through the church that God does his work. Can you say amen? How many know if you want to work for God, you know where you're going to work for God? Being plugged into the church. That's how God does his work. That's how he's always done his work. From the beginning, when the church was indwelled by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it was from that body of believers that God did his work in that community, the surrounding areas, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's still how God does his work today. Amen. Don't fall into the trap that a lot of people fall into, that I can do my work for God outside the church. No, you can't. Not like God wants you to. You need to be plugged in to a local body of believers. I can't stress to you the importance of that. You, if you're a believer, you are a member of the body and you dislocated from the body. You cannot be effective in your own individual ministry. And listen to me, you're hurting the body and its ministry as a whole. Because all of us are needed. And he goes on and shares a whole chapter right here. You go and read it yourself. But I just want you to know you are needed in the body and what you do with your spiritual gift or what you don't do with your spiritual gift not only affects your individual ministry but the ministry of the whole church. If you believe that, say amen. amen. You are a gifted child. Child of God. Use the gift you have for God's glory in and through His church, His body. Many members Many gifts, one body, and God has placed the members of the body right where he wants them so that we can be the most effective in his work. The effectiveness of any church in ministry is determined, listen to me now, by the members' willingness to relinquish their will to the will of the Holy Spirit. It's no longer about what I want or what I desire now it's about what God wants, how he can work in me, how he wants to work through me, working in concert with his church, accomplishing his will and purpose. Yes, his spiritual gifts. Turn with me over to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And I want to share with you just the list of spiritual gifts that are available to all of us. Now, all of us as believers, we've already seen according to Scripture, have spiritual gifts. We all have at least one or some, but I don't believe any believer has all spiritual gifts. I believe that all of us have some, one or some, but none of us have all the spiritual gifts. And so all of us are needed working together so that we might be what God wants us to be. Members in the body working together to accomplish His purpose. So in Romans chapter 12, he gives us a list starting in verse number 6. He says, Having then gifts 
differing according to the grace that is given to us. So the gifts we have been given are gifts of grace. God's undeserved favor to us, it's because of that grace that He gives us gifts so that we can be what He's called us to be. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy. Now prophesy, we know, means to speak the Word of God. I believe that a pastor ought to have the gift of prophecy. Can you say amen? Not only the pastor has the gift of prophecy. Hey, listen, laymen can certainly have the gift of prophecy. I've, had, I've known a lot of laymen in the church that I, I know had the gift of prophecy. Lay women in the church who had the gift of prophecy. They, could, they were able to speak clearly the word of God. And he says, now let's prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or what he says, or ministry. Now what is ministry? It's gifts of service. Now, folks, those who have the gift of ministry, I wish we had 500 around here that had the gift of ministry. Those who were willing to serve, who had the servant's heart, who were willing to do for others before they do for themselves, who were willing to love others, no matter what the cost. You know some folks like that, don't you? I see a lot of them around here, and I praise God for you. You have the gift of ministry. you got that servant's heart, that servant spirit. He says, if it's minute, let us wait on our ministering, or he that preach, or teacheth on teaching. A lot of people have the gift of teaching. You ever been around a, a dear brother or sister who had the gift of teaching? I love being around them. They can explain the Word of God in such a way that the words jump off the page and speak life to you. Wow, love that. We need that in the body of Christ. We need you, teachers, in the body of Christ. He goes on and says, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. A lot of people have the gift of encouragement. A dear brother in the scripture that we know had the gift of encouragement was a man by the name of Barnabas. And Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. He was continually finding ways to lift people up. How many like to be around people who tear you down? Anybody? Don't we have plenty of them in the world? They're always looking for some way to pick at you and pull you down. They're always looking for some way to discourage you. Let it never be said of the people of God that we're always looking for a way to tear others down. Let, let me say something to you that my mom used to say to me. It's very good advice. Maybe you've heard it too. If you don't have something good to say, just don't say nothing at all. Just keep your mouth shut. Listen, if you can't uh, give somebody an encouragement, encouraging comment on how they look or what they've done or how they've worked. If you can't say that, just keep your mouth shut. Amen. Amen. And if you don't know what to say, keep your mouth shut. Let me give you another very encouraging uh, word of wisdom that my mom used to say to me. She'd always say, son, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people wonder whether or not you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And that's true. Sometimes you just need to close that mouth 
if you can't be an encourager. We have those with the gift of encouragement, and praise God, you ought to be using it. And you do use it. You use it for your pastor, I know that, and I want to thank you for it. Thank you for your texts and your cards, and your words of encouraging words that you give me from time to time in my family. You don't know what that means to me. Don't everybody like to get a text message from time to time? That can be a great ministry. Just take somebody and say, hey, I love you today and I'm praying for you. Thank God for what you're doing in the body of Christ. Do that for a brother or sister in Jesus. It makes all the difference. It ain't going to take you but five minutes. Take time and write a card and put it in the mail. That helps for all of us. And again, thank you for being encouragers to me. I appreciate you, but we need that in the body of Christ. The enemy's always out to tear us down. We need the people of God that'll build us up. So very important. Or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. I love this. You know, there's a gift of giving. Some of you have the gift of giving. Use your gift. If God gives you the means and the right motive to give, do it. Realize that you've been blessed so that you might be a blessing. Can you say amen? Means and motive mean a lot. When we have it to give and we give for the right reason, God blesses it. Let me say this. Listen, everybody look at me. You cannot outgive God. Dr. Jeremiah says it like this. He says, We give to God without a little teaspoon. And he gives back to us with his big old shovel. You say, Well, brother, does that mean if I give a hundred, God's going to multiply it threefold and give me back three hundred? He could. Can God not do that? He could. But you know what else? I've experienced God blessing me financially. But I've also God experienced God blessing me phys or spiritually and physically. He blesses us in many different ways. Not just through a pocketbook. But I tell you, you can't outgive God, brothers and sisters. If you've got the gift of giving, use it for God's glory with means and motive. Then he says this, or he that ruleth. Some people have the gift of administration. He says, let him do it with diligence. He that showeth mercy, the gift of mercy. Aren't you thankful for those who have the gift of mercy? I think of my dear sweet grandma, man. She had to, uh, she, if there's one gift she had, I think she had many, but she had the gift of mercy. She never gave up on people. And no matter what, she'd show a mercy and grace. And I'm going to be honest, folks. I, I, I see some gifts that God's given me, and I'm thankful for them. But if there's something that I'm lacking in from time to time, it's a gift of mercy. A, lo a lot of times, I, I just want to, man, I just want to tell them. I just wanna, and I think that comes from a strong dose of the gift of prophecy. I do want to encourage them. I think, I hope I have the gift of exhortation. I, I, but I just want to tell them, I just want to get them to change what they're doing. Sometimes people just need mercy. Can you say amen? And if you have the gift of mercy, praise God for you. 
You are needed in the body of Christ. You, as believers, are a gifted bunch. And if we're going to get in shape spiritually, you've got to realize that. Use those gifts that God has given you inside the body of Christ to accomplish His good will and purpose. Amen? You say, brother, I don't know what my gifts are. Let me say this. Pray about it. Seek God about it. Take inventory of your life. And listen to me now. Allow God to use you by His power for His purpose. You're a gifted bunch, I'm telling you. Isn't it good to be used to the Lord? I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing more satisfying than to know the God of heaven is using you for His honor and for His glory. I'm going to stop right there. We just got through this. We'll look at H next time we're together. Everybody stand together today. Brother, come on up with a song of invitation. Let me, let, me, let me ask you this, believer. Maybe you're here today and you say, Brother, I want to be used to the Lord. I just don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know how God can use me. I don't know how God will use me in this upcoming year. Ask Him. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And a great place to get along with the Lord and do business right here in this altar. Men and women have met with God at the altar all throughout mankind's time on earth. All throughout Scripture we see it. He still meets with you when you choose to meet with Him. Hey, maybe someone comes here. I want to be used, Lord. Use me in this upcoming church year. Use me, Lord, to do what you want done in your body. Maybe someone say, Lord, help me to realize my gifts. Help me to get in shape so that I might be what you've called me to be. Maybe you just need to be saved. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe you need to be baptized. Whatever you need this morning, you come. This is your invitation. Don't wait. You come this first stanza.